The singing was wonderful in here this morning. Thank you, Russ. Thank you to the congregation. I always love that. I love when, the, when it's the ladies' parts. It almost sounds like angels are singing in here. I always say, you know, because I'm the worst singer. You guys found that out a couple weeks ago when I tried to do a couple verses, right? Like one stanza. And then it's like when the ladies start singing, I just like close my eyes and listen for a minute. <laughs> it's the only time I hear good singing. Before we get started here this morning, I want to kind of, uh, we have something for Eden, that's right. Uh, Eden, if you're, I know you're here, so come on up. Where is Eden at? There she is. Eden gave her life to Christ as she was baptized for the remission of her sins. And so Eden, we're here today. We're going to present you with the Haley's Bible Handbook. We know you have a Bible at home. And we also know Granddaddy's getting a little older. And so, you know, his memory isn't what it used to be. And so this will help you to fill in those gaps, right? And where he forgets. <laughs> Lewis, we know you're joking. We love you. Eden, congratulations and welcome to the family. I'm just kidding. Lewis has a memory like an elephant. You should hear the stories he tells. Sometimes on our Friday, Friday morning Bible story, him and Stephen Tidings are telling stories, and they're going way back. And I was telling, uh, I think Kara was there once, uh, one Friday morning. I was just like, yeah, it almost is like we're listening to the History Channel. It's great. <laughs> you know, as we get into this lesson, um, it's going to be less of a sermon and more of a study here today. Uh, if, if there's gonna, it's going to be a scripture-heavy sermon. If you remember last week, we looked at the deity of Christ. We looked at those passages of scripture that spoke of Jesus' pre-fleshly existence, right? Uh, we looked at the idea uh, that he was God uh, before he ever took on flesh, before he ever came here to earth. We looked at those passages of scripture. Um, this week, it's a scripture-heavy sermon as well as we're in part two of, the, uh, of looking at the life of Christ through his pre-fleshly, his fleshly and his glorified state as we move forward. And I just want you to know if you'd like to uh, focus and pay attention without trying to hurry up and write all the passages down, if you guys email me, I'll email you the entirety of the sermon. It'll have everything in there. You'll be able to go over it and you'll be able to have that because we need to add these types of things to our spiritual toolbox. Amen. Because if you have a spiritual toolbox and you're studying to show yourself approved, it's going to be able to give you confidence to talk to friends, talk to family members about the Word of God. And who more important to talk to, uh, talk about than Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Savior of the world, right? The, 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 the pure Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace. And so, brethren, we're going to continue this lesson here this morning. If you write down or, e or, or text me or email uh, many of you have my cell phone numbers. If you're uh, a guest visiting with us today, speak with me afterwards, and I'll get you the information so I can send this to you as well. And if you'd like last week's, I could do that as well. Also, never forget, uh, we have technology, amen? And so every lesson we preach and teach here in Lincoln Park, it's on our YouTube page. You could go to YouTube and you could re-listen to the lessons. You could pull it up. You could, when you're driving around, if you want to re-listen to something, you could put it on. Uh, I think Jim has it set up through, uh, I think it's through Apple with the iPod or, or through the podcast. And so you can listen to it as podcast as well. And so then you can review this information if you ever need to, or if you'd like to share it with a friend, a family member, coworker. But this week we're going to get into the fleshly existence of Christ, right? So why is it necessary for the word, why was it necessary for the word, God, Jesus, to put on flesh and become man? 
It's a very important question that we need to make sure that we have answers to. Because we now live in a time that what they call the post-Christian era. What do I mean by the post-Christian era? Well, we have more people in this country who no longer believe in the way that they either once did, or there's less people now that believe than, they, than, than that were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And if you look at some of the polling that has been taking place uh, post-COVID, there are less people attending services, there's less people filling the, the pews, there's less people going to Bible studies, and there's less people now that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There are less people today identifying with Christianity than they did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And that speaks to the idea that I was talking about this morning about the importance of evangelism. Evangelism should be the, the number one priority of every Christian. We should be like Jeremiah, who that if he was going to hold it in, he felt like he was going to burst, so to speak, uh, if he wasn't able to then uh, teach and preach the message that God had given to him. We, as disciples of God, need to be like Jeremiah, that, we, that we're just weary of holding the message in, because we know that salvation comes to all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And we need to make sure that we're taking the message to any and all who will hear us. Brethren, we look at this message here this morning, and when I think about uh, Jesus and his fleshly states, you know, there are some things, even though we study out the scriptures, that, that are hard to fully grasp. Would you agree with that? There's, there's so, just some things that, not that we can't understand the plan of salvation, not that we can't understand the plan of redemption, but there are some things that are difficult to understand. Even Peter spoke of that in, in regards to Paul's teachings. One of those things would be, you guys ever hear of the Godhead? The triune God, the Trinity, right? There's different names that it goes by in Christian circles, but it's the idea of God being three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet one God. The other aspect that is hard for people to sometimes understand and to fully grasp is the idea that Jesus is both man and God. And there have been scholarly men and women who have been studying this out for many, many generations and for, for, for millennium, really. And they have wrestled with this question, how Jesus could be both God and man, how he could be deity, uh, give up deity, give up the power, the glory, the majesty he had with uh, God before the foundations of the world, become man, and then yet still be deity. And so people have struggled sometimes with these questions. But they struggle sometimes with these questions because they haven't necessarily read all that the scriptures teach on the subject. And that's why we have to study out Jesus in the, in the sense that last week, deity, his pre-existent state before he became flesh, as well as his fleshly state and his glorified state. When you start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, it starts to make more sense as to the claims that Jesus made and the claims that make, the Bible makes on the behalf of Jesus Christ. And so, brethren, we're going to dive into this here, here this morning. Remember that the prophets foretold the coming of the Holy One. The prophets uh, foretold the coming of the Messiah. It was stated uh, that he was to be born of a virgin. Amen? It was stated by the prophet Isaiah in 7 and 14. It was also stated in Isaiah chapter 9 that the Messiah would be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we know that as you study those things out. But what's great about the scriptures are is we have the prophesied word through the prophets, but then you fast forward 
uh, really hundreds and hundreds of years, if not a thousand years from the time of Isaiah, and you get to the New Testament, and you open up the Gospels, and you start in Matthew, and you read chapter 1, and you find things out like Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Oh, that's exactly what was prophesied a thousand years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. You find things out like he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You find things out like he was, uh, he was God in the flesh as you study out Matthew chapter 1 along with John chapter 1. And so John's gospel isn't like the synoptic gospels, right? We have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we know that they're called those because of the similarities in their writings and the similarities of their stories, and so they're called the synoptic gospels. But John, he didn't want to write the same thing that had already been penned by three different authors 30 years earlier. And so in about mid-90s, about 95, 96 AD, John penned an additional gospel because the church at that time was dealing with different problems than it was dealing with in the 50s and 60s AD. And, and, and mainly the problems they were dealing with was the Antichrist. And if you study out the scriptures, the Antichrist just means false teachers. False teachers were prevalent. Uh, all the way through since the infancy of the church, but by the time you get to the mid-90s, it was very prevalent in his day. And so he wrote the gospel that is known as the universal gospel. It is known as the universal gospel, and it's also known as the gospel, where he gives us additional information that we don't necessarily ascertain through the synoptic gospels. And so John's gospel gives us information like John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where we find out that John states that Jesus is deity. Jesus is known as the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, that Word became flesh and dwelt among his, uh, and dwelt among his creation. And so as we break this lesson down here this morning, there's five points that we're going to look at. The first is, why, why did God need to become man in the first place? And as we look at that question of why God needed to become man, there's five things that come to mind. The first is, deity, meaning Jesus, came into the world, came into the world to reveal himself more, more, more fully to his creation. Number two, deity, Jesus, came into the world to serve as a perfect example for mankind. The third aspect is that Jesus came into the world to deliver man from the curse of sin. The fourth idea is that Jesus, being deity, came into the world to become man's high priest. And we're going to talk about why that is important. And then fifthly, we're going to look at why Jesus, being deity, had to come into the world to conquer death and gave man the assurance of immortality. Brethren, these are the things that we need to be so knowledgeable about because there are going to be people, when you show people the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the grace and mercy of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, they're going to see that there's something different about you who call yourself a Christian, who identify as a disciple of our Lord and Savior. There's, there should be something different about your life. Something that stands out in contrast to what we see in the world. And when that happens... If that's happening, then there should be individuals who are going to want to know why you're different. What makes you different? What makes you so compassionate? What makes you so forgiving? What makes you so merciful? And brethren, you have the opportunity then to teach them about your Jesus. And so let's, let's get started here this morning. 
And let's start to examine these. The first one that I mentioned was Jesus being deity. He came into the world to, to more fully identify himself, to more fully uh, reveal himself is a better word to his creation. And certainly we know that in Psalm 19, it tells us that uh, the heavens declare the, the glory of God and the, the firmaments, they show his handiwork, we learn in Psalm 19. But we know also that even the Apostle Paul told us in Romans chapter 1 that we, meaning mankind, we can know God. We can know his power. We can know his divine nature because God has clearly made that evident to us as we read Romans chapter 1. And so, brethren, as we break this down, remember, this first point is the idea that Jesus came to, to reveal himself more fully to his creation. Because remember, I said last week, when you think about God in the beginning, it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. Most Christians who have not studied it out will attribute that to the Father, but in reality, the Bible teaches us it was Jesus was the creator, not the Father. And so I look at this next pass, this first passage of scripture on the screen behind me. I want you to, I got the same verse, but I have the New King James Version, which is similar to the NASB Version. And then I want us to compare it to what I like, how it says it more perfectly in the NIV. When you look at the New King, the New King James Version in John chapter 1 and verse 18, the scriptures tell us, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Who has declared him? Jesus has declared the Father. But I like what it says in the NIV a little bit better. No one has ever seen God but the one and the only Son, who is himself God in his closest and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made himself known. Brethren, what is the point of looking at the two variations of that translation? Of, of, of verse 18 of chapter 1. It's very simple. Jesus Christ is the living representation of God the Father in the flesh. When you see the Father, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And I know this to be true because that's literally what the scriptures teach us. When we see the compassion of God, when we see the love, the patience, the righteous anger that is displayed within the temple and other places, when we see kindness and we see gentleness and self-control, when we see those attributes in Jesus Christ, we see the nature of the Father. And it makes me think of this next passage of Scripture in John chapter 14 and verse 8 and 9. And when you look at this simple verse, it says, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. But do you look at verse 9 of that, same, uh, of that same verse? And it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say to me, Philip, just show us the Father and it will be enough? Jesus had come to reveal the Father to mankind. Jesus being God, the Son of God, being the Word in his pre-existent state, put on flesh, was called Jesus. He was named Jesus because the name Jesus literally means Savior. And so Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. You remember that uh, uh, one of the prophets also said his name will be Emmanuel. Well, the word Emmanuel simply means God with us. Jesus is both God and man. We know that because we looked at those scriptures last week to give the evidence that the scriptures teach. And so, brethren, you look at John chapter 14, and we understand that Jesus is the fleshly embodiment of the Father. 
This is not my opinion. This is literally what the scriptures teach us through the Holy Spirit guided apostles. Then we look at the next point. And the second one that we said earlier was deity. Jesus came into the world to serve as a perfect example to mankind. Brethren, we know that when Jesus lived his life and went through his ministry, that, that he challenged people to be like God. He challenged to be like God, for he said you need to be perfect as God is perfect. And we understand, and one of the things that I love about Jesus when you study out his life, is Jesus didn't ask anything of you and I that he didn't expect of himself. What did Jesus ask of you or I that he did not expect of himself? He was tempted in all the same ways that we're tempted. And he had to go through the various trials and, 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 and the storms of life, as many of us do. And then he had to go through things that I pray that none of us would ever have to go through. And yet, he remained faithful completely to all that God had commanded him, God the Father. And so, brethren, when we look at the scriptures here this morning, we know that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And he did this to show man that you too can strive for perfection. You too can strive to live a righteous and holy life in all aspects of life. In your relationships, in your workplace, in your congregation, as you interact without the world. There are going to be things that are going to happen and you as individuals get to determine, will I react in a Christ-like manner or will I react as the world should expect that I would react? When I am gossiped against, do I return in favor? When I am slandered, do I return in favor? Do you understand? When I'm slandered, do I continue to then slander others? You see, these are the things that we need to ask ourselves. Are we truly renewing our minds and transforming our lives by be, being true disciples of Jesus Christ? I think about the scriptures this morning, and it reminds me of what the Hebrew writer had to say in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9. In Hebrews 5, it says, Although that he was a son, he learned obedience from the things in which he had suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Brethren, I love that verse right there because you guys have heard me say that Jesus suffered and was tempted in ways that we all are. And yet there was no sin found in him. And yet there was no deceit found on his lips or in his mouth. And it's so important that we, brethren, when we live according to the example that Christ Jesus lives, that there be no deceit found in our mouths, and that we strive to, to, to remove all forms of sin from our lives. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. We know that because First John in, in, in his letter teaches us that if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. So we understand that there's going to be times where we sin, but is there godly sorrow? Is there a, a, a godly sorrow that causes mourning, that causes repentance, that causes you to hit your knees and to look up to God and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned? You see, brethren, Jesus had set the example of how we are to do all things. We move on to the next point, and the third point was that Jesus, being deity, came into the world to deliver man from the curse of sin. As we continue to look at all the reasons why Jesus had to put on flesh, why Jesus came in to, uh, to be both God and man, brethren, this is one of the, the main ones. That Jesus came to deliver man from the very curse of sin. We know the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 and 23 that since all men have sinned, then all men are under the curse of death. And man is under the bondage of sin. And in and of ourselves, there is literally nothing that we could do to deliver ourselves from even one sin. 
And so we understand, brethren, that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. He came to be our Redeemer and our Deliverer. I think about what Matthew has to say in Matthew chapter 1. When you look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, 21, it says, But when he had considered this, that's talking about Joseph, keeping it in context, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, uh, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he's of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Why? For he will be the Savior of his people. He will save his people from all their sins. Brethren, Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice. He came to be the perfect sacrifice for mankind's sins by living according to the law, the law of Moses, the law in which he lived under, he did so perfectly. And therefore he was not under the curse of death like the rest of us find ourselves. Jesus instead though chose to give his perfect life and he gave it over in uh, payments for his creation. Jesus chose to die in our place. He chose to shed his blood and to give up his life so that way we might be set free from the penalty of our sins. Brethren, this is one of the most important points that we have to make to understand why the Bible, why the gospel is considered the greatest love story. It's the love story because God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, John 3 and 16, right? And so you look at the scriptures, brethren. Remember what the Apostle Paul also said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Brethren, we understand that the wages of sin is, of, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But we have to understand, brethren, that to accept the gift that Jesus offers, we must accept it on his terms. We must, have, we must accept that gift based according to the requirements that are given to us. Remember what it says in Hebrews 5 and, 19, or 5 and 9 that we looked at a few moments ago. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 it says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who what? All those who obey him. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So are there requirements of us? Is obedience required of us? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. It is a free gift that comes with conditions. Just like if there is a, if I die and I'm fortunate to have something to leave to others or my children or my family, I may put conditions in those things, right? There are certain wills that are, uh, that are condition laden. And you can receive this that was given to you if you meet the conditions. And in the same way, that is what the Word of God is teaching us here today. That there are conditions to all who obey Jesus. He had become the source of eternal life. Brother, one of the most beautiful concepts that man uh, must understand is the reason for Jesus' death. Because God's law states, if you sin, you die. You remember the Garden of Eden? When God said to Adam and he said to Eve, in the day in which you eat of the fruit of this tree, and it was not an apple, I just want to point that out because everybody you ever talked to about this story, they say, oh yeah, Eve ate of the apple. It's not an apple. That's Hollywood, okay? When you, the day in which you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die, right? And so we look at that, brethren. God's law states you sin, you die. And so how could God... Save sinful man and yet not violate his own law? It's a logical question. 
Because Jesus, being God, decided to become a man and live amongst his creation. And he did so perfectly and was never under the curse of death. And Jesus, being an eternal being, offered up an eternal sacrifice once and for all. And so, brethren, by doing so, Christ Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine and for the sins of all mankind from all time. He could do this because he is eternal and he offered up a perfect eternal sacrifice to redeem the sins of all mankind who will accept his, uh, who will accept his gift according to his conditions, who will accept his gift and live in submission to God, just as the Bible teaches. And you see, brethren, that is why it is important that we understand what the conditions are. How can we ever hope to get to heaven if I don't understand what the conditions are that must be met? And that's why many people, they like to believe in God, but they don't like to be obedient to God. How many times have you ever showed somebody scripture and they'll say, well, that's your God, my God. And then all of a sudden, God, the God of creation, the God of Christianity starts to get divided up into all these little subsections. And they say, well, you believe that that's your God. The God I believe in, he loves all mankind. He would never send somebody to hell. God made me this way is what we see here in modern circles, right? In certain, uh, in certain ways from the LGBTQIA, that's getting harder to remember and spit out. But they'll say that God made me this way. And so surely he would not punish me for making me this way. Brethren, we know that I've done multiple studies on that. I've done, I preached it from the pulpit. I preached it in Bible study. And we know that those things are to be untrue. We know that the uh, scriptures teach us in Romans chapter 3, notice what Paul said. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, which simply means payment. God displayed Jesus publicly as a payment in his blood and through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for, their, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at this present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, what's the point of that? Well, the point is to go back and to show that there's conditions. Because it says right there in verse 26 that he's the justifier of the ones who have faith in Jesus. You guys hear me say this at nauseum. What is biblical faith? It is a three-part thing. Belief, trust. Man, you guys should all be spitting this out. Belief, trust, obedience. You can't have one of three or two of three. It has to be all three working in harmony. Otherwise, you're like Jesus when he says to the Christians who come to him in Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, for I don't even know who you are. But Lord, didn't we do these good things for you? I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Brethren, once again, the free gift has conditions that must be met. And to be justified, one must have faith in Jesus Christ. One must believe all that the scriptures teach about him. One must trust in the promises that he makes and the promises that the Father makes. And then one must be obedient to said Savior. We look at Hebrews, brethren. And as I look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, notice what the scriptures say. For indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also. But the world they heard, but the word that they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Do you see a common theme here when it comes to 
biblical faith, when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to belief, trust, and obedience. It says again right there, the word did not profit all of them because some of them did not unite that, uh, the word and belief with faith. Having belief and belief only will save nobody. Brethren, a faith without works is dead. Baptism is a work. Belief is a work. We know that because I did a sermon on it a few weeks ago and I showed you the scriptures that taught that very thing. <laughs> Lastly, before we uh, get ready to close this down in a few minutes, brethren, we look at another one. We also know that Jesus, the fourth point that I made earlier, that Jesus, uh, deity, came into the world to become the perfect high priest of mankind. Brethren, this is such a, an important concept, a concept because we understand that Jesus lived as a man. He was tempted, as I said earlier, and yet without sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus did not make, need to make atonement for his sins like the priests of old who had to first make atonement for their own sins and then they made atonement for the rest of the congregation. We have a, we have a, a Lord and a Savior who is perfect. Who needed, no, uh, who needed no redemption. And so I think about what the scriptures uh, teach us. There's two passages here in Hebrews 4 and 7 that we're going to look at in regard to the idea of Jesus being our high priest. And in Hebrews chapter 4, notice what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our very time of need. Brethren, Jesus is our high priest. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. Do you know why? Because he is both God and man. I think about Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 through 28. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. What does it say about the high priest in the form of Jesus Christ? He's holy. He's innocent. He's undefiled. He's separated from sinners. And he's exalted above all in the heavens who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, for first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once and for all when he offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice. In verse 28 it says, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath of God which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. Brethren, your high priest... Your Lord and your Savior made, a, made an eternal uh, offering, eternal sacrifice on behalf of you and I to remove the curse of sin. He gave his body, he shed his blood, he gave his life in order to become the payment for our sins. And so he freed us from the curse of death. Brethren, we know that in the last one that I'm going to look at, that we also see that Jesus was deity and that he came in the world to conquer death. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18, the scriptures tell me, When I saw him, talking about John, I fell at the feet of him, talking about Christ like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys over death and Hades. Brethren, death has kept mankind in grip in a grip of bondage until 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we find out through the Holy Scriptures and these last two passages that you're going to look at by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. And for since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. And for all, for as in Adam all died, for as in Christ all will be made alive. You see, brethren, we know that the Apostle Paul continues in uh, that same chapter in verse 55. He says, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, O death? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives to us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Brethren, this was more of a study than it was a sermon, but the idea is because we need to understand all that the scriptures are teaching. There's more that, be, that can be given, but for expedience, time's sake, we don't have time to go over everything that the scriptures say. But we, we know that this is sufficient enough to prove the point that the Bible is making. Jesus is deity, as we looked at last week. Jesus existed in a pre-fleshly state. He was the Word. The Word was, the Word, be, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became, uh, was God, and the Word then eventually became flesh. We looked at all the passages of the Scripture besides those that showed that Jesus was beforehand, before his fleshly existence. Today we looked at his fleshly existence and we looked to answer the question, what was the reason for him being both God and man for coming into the world in the first place? And so, brethren, we need to commit as much of this information as possible to knowledge. So that way, into our memory, so as we talk to friends and family, we could share this information. Remember, we need to be like Jeremiah, who was afraid to hold in the word of God, for he was angry. He says, I will no longer speak the word of God, but the word of God became like a fire within its bones, and it was, he was afraid it was going to burn him up. And so we, too, must have so much knowledge, so much love, so much passion, that we're willing to then feel like we're going to burst if we don't share this information. God had given us a minna at the beginning of our discipleship, as I talked about in Bible study this morning. And we need to take that minna, the word of God, and take it out into the world. Don't bury it in the sand, but take it out into the world and allow it to then uh, benefit the lives of friends and family members. And if you do that, the one who had five minas gained five more minas. It's at five individuals he took the word of God to, and they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And you see, there was a benefit. There was the fulfillment of Scripture, and there was the furtherance of the kingdom. Brethren, that is what we need to do. We need to be so knowledgeable that we have so much passion and love that we want to go out there and to teach, to preach, and to spread the love of Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you're here today and you're hearing this word, uh, please, if you have any questions, get with me afterwards. Talk to myself. Talk to your elders. We would love to set up Bible studies with you. This is one of the most evangelistic congregations I've ever been a part of. And we have many men, many women who know the truth and who can help you, who can mentor you, and who can uh, help you to, to, to overcome whatever fear you may have about personal evangelism. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, let us know how we can pray for you. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, but your desire is to, to, be, to be washed in the waters of baptism, 
to be freed from your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.